Welcome back to another episode. I think it's been like three weeks since I've done an interview interview. It's been mostly solo episodes, which I'm excited for because I just found you have to keep the tools sharpened. If I don't film a video for two or three weeks, I'm off. Like I need to stay on it. So I'm excited A for that and B... There's, we, we talk a lot about, I think, strategy and tactics on this podcast. We have a lot of people who make a ton of money or have built massive organizations, and they take us through the tactical and strategic aspect of it, sometimes even like the mindset piece of it. But what's been missing, I think, way too much is the topic and the idea of leadership. So today we got John Berghoff. How you doing? Lucas. Good, buddy. Great to be here, man. Um, I, I know we chatted for like 10 minutes all about leadership, and I've just always kind of seen even from my first client, I'm like, hey, now I'm a leader. I need to lead my audience. I need to lead my clients through their workout, which at the time, that's what I was doing. I need to lead them through life choices. And then as you build a team, you have to lead other people. And then it just it just keeps growing. So I think coaches are leaders from, from day one. So whether you're a coach who's like, man, my audience isn't listening to me. I can't inspire or move. Or you're a coach who's building an organization or you have a few coaches underneath you, I think this episode is going to serve you at a massive level. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, likewise, man. So happy to go wherever you want to go. Appreciate cool. it. Yeah. Cool. So so I believe when, it, when I looked at it, you are a co-founder, but you're also running Exchange. What is Exchange? Yeah. So Exchange is uh, it's a philosophy. It's an approach. It's a community of coaches, teachers, leaders. And our, our deepest passion, Lucas, is figuring out how to unlock potential at scale, which deserves to be unpacked a little bit. Right. And so really our mission is uh, teaching leaders and teachers and coaches a, a set of skills that they can bring into organizations or to their clients where they can facilitate experiences and conversations that for a team, it might allow them to solve a problem or shape their future or work better together. Um, but again, what makes what we do unique is it's all about uh, bringing groups together and unlocking potential with groups. Sometimes we're facilitating 50, 100, even 500 people in a room, and all this works digitally. And and then, of course, for you know, coaches that we teach, um, it's often how do you how do you create a whole new level of value by turning your clients or customers into a community? Um, and so we're you know constantly asking questions, but it all points towards one transcendent purpose, which is what are the tools and beliefs and methodologies that can allow anybody that wants to teach or lead or coach to to create value maybe at a scale that they've never done before and so so that's cool. our passion do do you think i know as a as a as a kid this is so funny i don't share this often i probably should share more i was a kid my, my family grew up catholic uh, religion is a whole different discussion that is a whole different medium but anyways as a kid that's what i was around i remember being like i really want to be a priest Nowadays, that would sound crazy to me, although I, I've kind of separated religion and spirituality, but um, I want to be a priest, and I didn't even know it, but at the time, like, all I wanted to do was serve, and I always wanted to speak, mm. and I wanted to, and nowadays, that, that, that's what I do, um, and I get paid for it, which I think is the best of both worlds. So do you think, and from my experience, most coaches had this moment where they're like, something's inside them, and they're called to share it. But then, you know, maybe technology or beliefs or what people are going to think and all this kind of stuff starts coming up. Who am I to share my my thoughts or my whatever? Um, what was, was that true for you? And is that what inspired Exchange? Where did all this come from? Oh, my goodness. It's a beautiful question. Um, 
Where did it come from? You know, for me, Lucas, I was, uh, I was very fortunate that um, when I was about 17 years old, I was, I, I was struggling big time in my life at that time. I was very socially anxious and awkward. And I, I just had a whole assortment of struggles at that time. And I, I was so fortunate that I had kind of fumbled into an entrepreneurial opportunity at a young age, which was a way out for me. And it was a way out from a path that, you know, I don't know where I would have ended up. And I was fortunate that I, I got to learn, um, not through books, but just through experience, uh, what it meant mm. to figure out how to go create value, um, which reignited my passion to educate myself in every way I could. Right. And, um, you know, that eventually led to getting into coaching. And yeah, I think there was some calling I had probably in my early 20s after some initial success as an entrepreneur and some whisper from the future saying, hey, you know, you might be able to help other people. And um, that eventually led to, uh, you know, I, my background was in sales and one of my clients was the Vitamix Corporation. They make right. high-end blenders. And, you know, one thing led to another and they became a client of mine. And and I kind of like you just said, I, I remember I was, a, I, w- I called myself a coach. I was a coach. I had clients. But I remember always thinking, I, I know there's got to be more value I could create in the world. I, there's got to, I'm, I'm mm. smart. I'm, I'm a good person. And I, I just didn't quite have the tools. Yeah. And, and I was fortunate that I was given the privilege at a young age to be an executive for an amazing company. And while I was there, I discovered just trial by fire that um, I, disco- I stumbled into some learnings around how to re- really create value at scale, not because of what I know, but by asking questions and unlocking wisdom from others. And then uh, I left there at a wonderful time and founded what we do today. But uh, yeah, I think for a long time, I've had some sort of whisper and um, that's you know, called me into what I'm doing. And I, I'm a believer, Lucas, that uh, those of us who end up in these coaching roles, you know, in some way, we end up doing what we do to redeem some part of our own soul. And I... Yeah. Like I barely graduated from high school. Yeah. And and today one of my greatest passions is when a group of people come together, how do we how do we help them come alive? How do we yeah. make it engaging? How do we make learning playful and transformational and powerful? So, yeah. I don't know. I, I I don't believe that I fully understand all of my own hero's journey, but I'm yeah. I'm enjoying it. So cool. So cool. What what is um cuz you've been in this space and you've been a part of the Vitamix growth. I I I know you're on the exec team and you you've probably worked with a lot of companies, a lot of people. What is Maybe I'll use the word extraordinary or or what is a high standard? What does an extraordinary level of leadership look like to you? What, what's a leader look like to you? Mm. Well, you know, leadership's an interesting word because um, it could be defined a lot of different ways. I think what my favorite definition of leadership is uh, we took a senior leadership team down to the Disney Institute. And I think they defined it as uh, either the desire or the ability to influence change. And I like that definition and because it's very inclusive. You know, Anybody could declare that I want to lead, whether it's change within myself, others, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I, I, you know, I'll, I'll just say this. I think, I think the world right now needs leaders more than ever before, but a different type of leader. And uh, there, was a, there was a picture that a, a, an executive at Google years ago, a gentleman drew a picture, and it was a picture to tell a story. And the story was that the world is now changing faster than we as human beings are equipped to deal with that change. I mean, I mean look at this moment, like literally right now. How true is that, isn't it? 
And so what does that mean? And um, one of our faculty members here at Exchange, and he's become a dear friend, Dr. Daniel Friedland, he, he wrote one of the first textbooks on evidence-based medicine. I mean, he tilted the trajectory of the whole way healthcare and medicine has been practiced around the world. And in the second part of his career, he became passionate about what goes on inside of us in these moments of challenge and change and stress. And I think any of us that coach or lead should really want to be a student of what's going on in the world right now. And what does that mean at the micro? And how can we create change at the macro? And one of the things Danny taught us is that um, in moments like right now, Lucas, what's happening for our clients and those that we want to serve and for ourselves is that the demands that we are facing feel so much greater than our ability to find the resources to deal with those demands. Mm -hmm. And that sends us into cycles of reactivity, just a stream of stress and self-doubt. I don't know about you, man, but man, at last year I had more moments of stress than any other year in my life. And, and we had a good year. And sure. I remember being stressed about how stressed I was. That's sure. a dangerous place. Sure. So you ask about what is what does a high standard of leadership look like? And even though our work and the tools that we teach, and we can talk all about these are about just some cool ways to bring groups together to unlock you know, connection and community and learning and wisdom and problem solving. I think at the very core of it, what the world needs is, is maybe some of that, but definitely every single one of us to look in the mirror and ask, are we doing whatever we need to do so that as individuals, as, as parents and members of our communities and brothers and sisters and teachers and whatever our roles are, you know, what are we doing when we look in the mirror to turn ourselves around? Because it's got to start within. Great. And uh, you, you were telling me right before the show that, you know, last year you had a year of uh, of letting go. And, you know, I think all of us have to be willing to allow something to die for something new to be born. And I think the whole world right now needs as many of us as possible to, to courageously be willing to uh, push ourselves or invite ourselves, either one, to evolve maybe faster than we have been. Maybe the world needs us to be doing that. I don't know. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Would you say it's true? And this is a personal question, a little selfish, but um, like for me, I I read all the leadership books. This is like years ago. And I was reading all these, this standard of leadership and everything, like all different kind of books. And I felt like I had to live up and be that, which I all, I'm mm -hmm. just like, who do you have to be? But I, I took it to a level where it was almost like these expectations were like so high. So I almost started to pretend like, hurrah, Braveheart, I'm a leader, let's go. And then behind the mm -hmm. scenes, I'd fall apart. And I, and I was like, wait, <laughs> from now on, I will actually share with clients and on my calls and all the time, I'm going to share the struggles I'm going through. So I don't have this misalignment of like pretending to be someone. But what I can promise you is I'm the best possible version I can be at any time. And I'm as far from perfect, wrong decisions, wrong this, but it actually, I think, unlocked something in me into a next level of leadership because I could be real with people. And I know it was received a lot stronger because people just seem to be like, uh, I don't know the full reason for it, but I just know that it just felt so much better to lead from like, hey, I'm not perfect, I'm doing my best, and I'm going to be fully transparent. <clears throat> and instead of just what some of the books used to teach me. So I think there's like another level of leadership. I think you learn some of the basic skills of leadership, but then there's like maybe embodied leadership. I don't know what you'd call it, but there's like the next level of leadership. Is that ring true? Is there mm. something in that? There's a few things you said that, that really, um, you know, vibe for me. <laughs> um, you know, one of them is, uh, you know, we at Exchange believe that anytime a group of people are being led, anytime a group of people walk into a room, so to speak, literally or on a Zoom room, 
everybody in some way is asking some version of the same question, which is, can I be myself and still fit in here? And I'd encourage everyone to just think about that for a moment. And then I want to come over to what you raised, because I think a lot of what we've been taught and what we believe about what it means to lead. Um, and so there's nothing wrong with us if, if we're listening to this conversation thinking, you know, maybe, maybe I, I ought to find some new ways to lead. It's important to realize that so many of the paradigms and even the tools that have been taught were born 100 years ago in an industrial age. In fact, interesting, just you know, trivia. And the, the most curriculums in the majority of management schools around the world, even today, not that that's the only place to learn how to lead, but it says something, look almost identical to the table of contents of a book written in 1911 by a guy named Frederick Taylor called The Scientific Principles of Management. And by the way, that thinking allowed us to have the industrial and knowledge revolution to have this conversation right, right. now. So we don't want to shame it. But here's the thing, you know, the idea that managing and leading is about a few people having all the answers. Right. It's about a few people knowing what to do and then getting everyone else to fall in line efficiently. Those are ideas and paradigms that we need to remove ourselves from the shackles because this is a whole new world. So, you know, I think that what you started this question with, you know, is really born from a place of humility. And I think there's, an, there's a whole new superpower emerging of our, in our generation at this moment right now. And it starts with realizing that leadership today and tomorrow is not about a few people having the answers. It's about designing the questions that we bring to as many people as possible. So that Gary Hamill, he's written more about the future of management than anybody. He might be the most widely cited contributor to the history of Harvard Business Review. I could have that wrong, but he, um, you know, he says innovation needs to come from everywhere. Well, it's only going to come from everywhere if we invite it. Right. And so last thing I'll share, Lucas, is you know, what we're passionate about exchange is what are those questions that bring out the best at scale, that connect us to a bigger purpose, that unlock our strengths when we're leading communities or companies. Um, but also, what's the magic that happens when we learn how to facilitate powerful conversations? Because you began this by asking about authenticity. Well, there's, I just want to finish with this one point. In 1999, there's a woman out of Harvard who published, I think, one of the first uh, papers on the concept of psychological safety. And it's an idea whose time has come. You know, it basically says that a, a group of people thrive to the extent that they feel safe. And Google did a study, I think, 12 years after that paper was published. And if you're Google, isn't it funny? You'd think you could just Google what creates a high-performing group, right. right? But they also have the money to do everything they want to find the answer. And the, and the transcendent answer they found is what Amy wrote about in 99, about safety. We've done our own research, mm. one of the largest studies on leading change and, and the effect that change has on the well-being of those that are are leading those changes. Same conclusion last year, and that's the importance of safety. And so here's what's really interesting. There's two things that lead to safety, and I just want to call attention to one of them right now, which is do people feel safe taking risks? Do they feel safe in a group setting, in a team setting, speaking up? And if I'm a coach leading a group coaching program or trying to build community, or I'm learning how to work with a team, I think you began this question by inquiring into what does it mean to be authentic? I think it's everything. I think people have no tolerance today for anything other than realness. There's, there's no tolerance for that. And so it's one of the two things that enables safety because when people see you being who you are unapologetically, you're giving them permission to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that liberates mm -hmm. energy and all sorts of other cool things. So I just gave the longest answer to, no, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. to your question, but I, um, I appreciate you asking. Two, two things come, come up for me from that that I'd like to, to see your thoughts on. But 
you mentioned the, the old paradigm, and I'd love to talk about what is the new paradigm that's emerging or what have you guys found of maybe some of these new scripts or beliefs or questions. But right before that, one thing that came up for me, um, I'm ambitious. I see the potential in people all of the time. I know what people are capable of only because of, of the, 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 the changes that I made in my own life. And I know that anyone's available. Like I know they can. And most coaches really want change for their clients. Um, sometimes they care too much and they lose themselves within the process. You can't help someone if they don't want to help themselves. But when you mention this idea of safety and making sure everyone's safe, where's the fine line, if you've experienced this, of, I'm going to say, pushing or trying to pull someone through inspiration, but trying to work someone through something that is unsafe and it's dangerous and they're feeling fear and not coddling them and making them feel safe only because I've experienced this at times. And I know a lot of coaches do. You want change for someone. You're trying to lead them through something. And there can be, I think it's a fine line in a, in a game you have to kind of master to play. And you mentioned community, like you're helping people build communities where everyone feels safe, yet they can still be pushed, I'm guessing, and still, you know, untap their potential, which takes fear and takes sometimes going through pain. Any, any thoughts on that? Gosh, there's so many things that we could talk about. Um, and, and I want to answer this question about <clears throat> how do you balance safety with, you know, still wanting to push ourselves and others? Because as a coach, man, you know, it's such a such an important question. There's something that you said at the beginning of your question that I just want to appreciate, if I may. And you began all this by saying that you often look at those that you've been given the privilege to serve and you believe in them. And I'm I'm choosing to reinterpret what you said here, but you often believe in them even more than they believe in themselves. And I just want to acknowledge you for that because in our quest at exchange to understand, you know, what creates great leadership, what creates impact and influence and, and what does it mean to build uh, powerful, flourishing communities? I deeply believe that that very first comment you made is at the center of it, that we have to see a potential in others, even when they cannot see it. Um, so I just want to acknowledge you for that. You know, I want to go back to your question about safety, and I want to acknowledge really the original source of this teaching. I learned this from Amy Edmondson years ago when I first came across her teachings and learned from her that, you know, you can have safety, but think about this. I want you also to think about the word standards, because you can have, I mean, if there's no safety and very low standards, that's called apathy. Nothing happens. But if you have high safety and low standards, we just sit in our comfort zone. Right mm. now, if you have really low safety in a coaching relationship, one to one or one to a group, if you have a low level of safety, but high standards, it creates anxiety. <laughs> but when you have a high level of safety and really high standards, you, you create an environment where we can learn and grow and perform at a high level. So it, you can have a safe. Safe doesn't mean being nice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Safe doesn't mean we only tell ourselves and each other what we want to hear. Mm -hmm. Safe means uh, we invite that authentic realness and truth telling with ourselves and with each other and let's hold high standards. We can do both. Yeah. So that's what comes up when I think about what you asked. I love that. Only I've been experimenting with it because I, again, like you said, I see the potential always have, and now I'll always approach things instead of making a definite statement, especially if I'm in a one-on-one -on -one setting. And I just know someone's not doing the work that they're able to do. Not, not doing that is always like, just making sure that they know they're appreciated, that they're like this is not an attack on them. Maybe some of their decisions or the choices, it's not an attack on them. And approach it from that place and maybe share something that I've been through just to create that vulnerability so they know I'm not attacking them, 
but I know you can do more. And having those hard conversations was difficult for me to learn and still something I learned because you want to be, you don't want to hurt somebody, but you want to push them. It's like that fine yeah. line. Yeah. 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 I, I think as a, as a, as a coach, whether we're doing one-to-one coaching or we're working with a group, um, you know, having the courage to invite other people to step into their courage, you know, there's, I, I don't think anybody gets anything done because they figured out how to avoid feeling fear. Yeah. It's, it's how do we get, how do we get something done through how we work with our fears? Yeah. And, um, yeah, I love what you're talking about, man. I cool. love it. Well, and, and I just always think about the two coaches that had the most impact on me. They pissed me off so bad in this one moment. Both of them had this moment where they told me the truth. And I like knew it was the truth, but you ignore it. And I was like, I, would, I just, I had to go for a week and just really think about it, realize it. I think they were also capable of my strength of handling the truth, um, mm-hmm. where they wouldn't have given to me. But I, I always see that moment, like when a client is ready and you can put the truth in and you know they're ready. I've seen the biggest transformations come if they can accept that truth and, and, and work through it. So that's cool. Yeah. You know, it reminds me that. One of the things that we believe in at Exchange, again, you know, most of our passion and our work and what we teach is is in group settings. It's, you know, how do you ask questions so that you can unlock potential with 20, 30, 50 people all in a Zoom or in a room together. And in that setting, there's something that we believe in that I think is just as important to what you're saying in a one-to-one setting, which is I think one of the things that makes somebody an exceptional coach is how coachable they are. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's mm-hmm. some incredible research at the group level and at the team level. And, and our, my lived experience has shown me this, that you know, a team or a group will thrive to the degree to which everybody is as open to being influenced as they are showing up to try and influence each other. Yeah. So I think that's something that makes a great uh, coach or uh, someone exceptional at being coached is, hey, how open am I yeah. to being influenced right now? So I think that's a good kind of Huge. look in the mirror question for anyone who's a coach. And, um, you know, and at the core of that is... Uh, can we can we embody uh, a a strength that comes from a place of humility? You know, great coaches are curious. Mm. The true, legitimate curiosity mm-hmm. also is born from a place of curiosity. Or, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, a place of humility. Yeah, that was so, a hard one for me. That was a hard one. This podcast, when I three years now, I remember my first two guests. I'm like, I already know that, I, and I had to check myself. I'm like, <laughs> I'm interviewing these people. Like, why can't now? I'm just like, how? Like, let me just get as curious. As I can, the podcast really helped me with that. Um, just humble mm. my damn self and realize I'm like one little little grain of sand, and there's so much information and knowledge out there. And there's brilliant people like yourself who are paving the way in all these beautiful industries. And I think that's a perfect segue into the paradigm question because you mentioned the one thing is leaders have to adopt more humility and stay curious, and that might be a little bit different than the old paradigm of leading from the top and just kind of kind of top-down um, orders and leadership. So that's probably yeah. a clue into some of the new paradigms. But care to share the stuff that you guys have been finding around the new way? Oh, yeah, man, absolutely. Absolutely. And I got to tell you, too, you, you said something just now. I had an experience yesterday. I had the privilege of um, really being in a dialogue and in some ways being interviewed by David Brooks. He wrote a book called The Second Mountain. Okay. And uh, he's a New York Times journalist and best-selling author and, and just a a genius. And, 
and man, this guy, the way that he asked questions mm. and the curiosity that he showed up with, and he's a legendary teacher. It's exactly what you're just talking yeah, about. That, that's cool. You know, strength and humility are the two sides of the same coin. Uh, so, the, so yeah, these paradigms and models, I mean, this is the stuff that gets us really juiced. And I, yeah. I'll tell you, this. a lot of this was born when I was at Vitamix. And I was, I don't know, maybe 27 years old. I came in, we had about 175 people that I was responsible for leading through a lot of change. And we all knew we had potential. And and I knew there was one thing I was really certain of on day one. And that was that even though I thought a lot of myself, I knew deep down inside, I did not have any clue how to actually navigate all the challenges that I was literally facing on day one. And over the next uh, four or five years during that time, uh, there, some of the models that we use today were born where what we discovered is that when we want to bring a group of people together in kind of a learning situation, right? We had a sales organization. We realized that as we, as, as we were trying to multiply learning, um, we realized that in creating learning environments, and there's some great wisdom, I think, here. What I, I know this because we've worked with a lot of coaches who they run trainings, conferences, mastermind groups, their own communities, seminars, workshops. I mean, we have heads of major movements that have come through our trainings that are taking what we're doing and, and totally up-leveling how they lead learning environments. And it was born at Vitamix when we realized three fundamental things about a learning environment. Number one, and a great way to remember this little framework is to think about the three C's. So number one is to think about content and to realize this, that um, information has long ago been kind of democratized and commoditized. And, and when we bring people together live, we have to figure out how to transform that learning moment from being passive to as active as possible. And there's some really simple ways to take basic experiential learning theory and convert a passive moment to an active one. And anybody that's teaching groups online they, if they don't have this stuff now, they're going to be obsolete tomorrow, guaranteed. Because if you think people have Zoom fatigue today, I don't, mm -hmm. I can't predict the future of this pandemic. But we're in conversations every day with heads of major learning movements. You, you can't just give a link out and get people to show up. You've yeah. got to be exceptional, and you got to get better every day at how to engage people. So we have to move the learning from passive to active. Anybody that's leading any group learning session. Got to figure that out. And Lucas, if we want to come back, we can give away all the how-to. Yeah, you got to yeah, get the no, paradigms first. Yep. So that's a fundamental question. Number two is we have to create connection when people come together. Here's a great, a great thing to remember is that when if we're leading a, a learning community or doing group coaching or even inside of an organization, people come into a learning environment usually for one of two reasons. Either number one, I want to get information that solves my problems, changes my future, makes me a better person, leader, whatever, right? That's called intellectual capital. Number two, I want to connect with other people who are like me. Um, now, side note, when you're in the middle of a once in a civilization pandemic that is literally defined by the fact that it is ripping apart the fabric of our society, which is the social cohesion, whether or not people are conscious of it, connecting with other people has multiplied almost exponentially in terms of value creation for me as a coach. Mm -hmm. So yeah, mm -hmm. my ideas are great, but knowing how to connect people with each other in a legitimate way, fast, it's fast and easy on Zoom. And when we connect people, there's a cool thing that we can do. We can simultaneously move away from the experts being the ones with all the ideas to where we're actually crowdsourcing as much of the learning as mm -hmm. possible. I, I can tell you, we got authors, experts, thought leaders, brand new coaches. 
who've learned the most basic things, and we can unpack these, where you could walk into a room. This one woman, Rachel Druckenmiller, she does keynote speeches and workshops inside of companies. She was already pretty successful when she met us. And she learned the simplest approach where going in to teach something, it's called the bookend, on the front end and the back of it, you facilitate an interaction. So on the front end of her teaching about well-being, she'd actually give a question to the group, have them reflect on it, go drop them into small groups. You can do all this on Zoom. Mm-hmm. Have them talk about that question, bring them out, have a few people share. And the incredible thing is now everyone's camera's on, everybody's present, they're all bought into what's mm-hmm. about to be taught because if you choose a good question, you may have connected them to why being here is important. You may have connected them to when they've actually seen this idea at work. Um, and then she does the same, what we call choreography at the end of what she teaches. And it could be as simple as what did you learn or how are you going to take action or what commitment are you going to make? Or it could be more uh, creative, like, you know, what's the greatest gift this workshop gave you today? Or how is your future going to be tomorrow because you're going to put this to work? I mean, you can, you can bookend passive information with a question and small group conversations. And here's the crazy thing. Remember we talked about about 10 minutes ago, when people walk in a room, the thing that matters first and maybe most is can I be myself and fit in? Right. And we said that psychological safety comes two ways. One of them is, do I feel safe taking risks? By you being Lucas, you already give people permission to be themselves. But there's a second way to create safety. You can literally engineer it. You can architect it. You can design it every time you lead a group. And here's here's what it is. The equality at which people's voices are heard Mm. is a leading indicator as to how quickly and how broadly they feel safe. So when you lead anything like our own trainings, we run these three day trainings. 70% of the training, people are actually in small groups doing the thing we teach. We don't talk about it. They do it. But we start and end every day with people talking to each other because we're constantly reconnecting them, creating connection and inclusion, rekindling that feeling of safety and then embedding the teaching in and out of it. So I told you there's three C's. Content. How do we move it from passive to active? Connection. How do we move it from the experts have the answers to crowdsourcing wisdom? There's I can give you lots of examples of how we do that in all types of trainings or group settings. But then the third C is actually a connection to the third source of capital, which is rarely why people might show up. It's rarely why they may be joining your coaching group, but it's probably why they might stay or come back. And it's communal capital. And communal capital is belonging to something bigger than just what I'm here to learn. It's am I, Do I feel like I'm a part of a group that's up to something in the world that really speaks to the deeper parts of my soul? Am I? And, and we can talk about the keys to what we've learned about what creates a healthy community. And we don't think we have all the answers, but there's definitely some basics. Um, but in a learning environment, how do we move it from passive to active? How do we move the teaching to not just come from the teachers, but from everybody, which is so important because it empowers us to remember how much wisdom already lives within but also something our world really needs right now is the experience, the lived experience of healthy communities. And so even in a learning environment, how do we from time to time move away from you're just here for yourself to, hey, you're actually a part of a group of people that are where you're safe, you can be who you are and fit in, and where you can exchange value by supporting each other in whatever unique ways you wanna create. So that's one model, so to speak, it's called the 3C model, that kind of drives how we design and lead any kind of training or learning environment. if that sparks any curiosity, yeah, yeah, go wherever huge. you want. I think what, what I love about that is I remember doing a workshop and I was figuring it out as we did it. It was one of our first ones that was in person. And mm-hmm. I was just modeling other workshops that I've been part of. I've been in so many masterminds and workshops. So I was like, what, what worked, what didn't? And I was just kind of watching uh, over the two days. And from the feedback and just from what I saw, 
I had the best content ever. This is life-changing content, and I was so excited to share it. But I had to check myself that when we broke them up into groups, um, or I was like, hey, what do you guys want to do? You want to learn more group? Like, they loved coming together in small groups, four or five of them. And then the yeah. connections that I saw built after that, how they were doing their own masterminds and their own. And it, it, it still goes on. They're still friends because I see on sometimes Facebook, like, those clients are still part of their own little groups. And I was like, that's yeah. when I understood, like... I can I can speak about my expert topic for probably like anyone listening for eight weeks straight all day long, 10 hours a day. But yeah. how much can people actually soak in? How can you make it actionable? And I guess that sense of community is so damn important. And I think what I may have missed if I would have known this coming back would have been connecting it to something bigger. So mm. it was even just beyond their little groups. But like what's the vision that we're trying to do in the world and how would you like to keep coming back and connecting? Not only probably from a business perspective, um, Lifetime value is, is probably the byproduct of this if we're talking business. But just apart from that, um, that would feel good. Like that, that, that feels good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things you and I talked about before we got on this is at the heart of everything we believe in at Exchange is the questions that we ask uh, are everything. And the questions that we present to others, they, they, we believe they change the future before the answers arrive. Um, we have a playbook with like our foundational questions and it's not published, but man, I'd love to just gift it to anyone who's listening to this. So at some point, if we could give that out, um, 100%. I, I would love to. Yeah. Well, actually here, I'll just tell you right now. Yeah. If, if any of your listeners want to go to X, X, the letter X, the word change approach, xchangeapproach.com forward slash Lucas. This is just for your group. <laughs> um, we've got a, it's 37 pages. It's a playbook that actually unpacks a lot of what I'm talking about. And it literally gives out like 20 different examples of questions that any coach could bring into any community. And it even gives instructions on exactly step-by-step -step how to facilitate a conversation in a group setting. So if, if, go check it out, download it, tell us how it works. Um, it, we, uh, I just want to gift that to your listeners. Yeah. But I want to, I also, I want to give you a question, which is, you know, you just raised something. You said, hey, if I could go back in time you know, something that you in retrospect think would have been significant would have been for you to, you know, connect your community to the bigger sense of purpose. My guess, and I'm just getting to know you, my guess is you're driven by a, tr a, a tremendous sense of purpose. So, you know, this is one of what we call six of the foundational questions is one of the most important, but I I'd love to put you on the spot. Can I put you on the spot? Here? Yeah, hundred percent. So Lucas, I'd love to give you a question. And, um, here's the question. The question is, why is it that you and I being here right now is important? And I want to give you a minute to think about that question. Yeah. And as you think about that question, I, I want to give you a short little parable that you may have heard or even told your own version of it, because I want to give you a way of thinking about this question. Why is it that is important that you and I are here right now? And it's the parable of the three bricklayers. I'm sure you've heard some version of this where, you know, there's a grandmother walking her granddaughter down the the this street in the center of the town and they come up upon these these three bricklayers that are building some sort of building and and the um the young girl asks the first bricklayer why are you doing what you're doing right now and this bricklayer says well i'm doing this because i got to pay the bills right which hey you know we're not gonna argue yeah. or shame that answer it's fine and then the young girl being inquisitive as she is she's still curious society hasn't beaten her curiosity out of her yet mm -hmm. <laughs> she asks the second bricklayer why are you doing what you're doing? And this bricklayer, interestingly, is doing the same thing, gives a different answer, says, 
well, I'm doing this because we're, we're building a concert hall, right? And uh, well, we build buildings. That's what I do. I build buildings. That's my career, right? Mm -hmm. The young girls, ah, that's really interesting. And to anyone listening right now, there could be a thousand coaches that listen to this and we could ask all of ourselves, why do we do what we do? And, you know, one lesson from this story is to remember and to realize that our purpose doesn't have to be something we find at the top of a mountain. It doesn't have to be some divine struck by lightning kind of thing. And it might work that way. Sometimes it might. Mm -hmm. But it could also be something that we have the freedom of choice to architect, to design the answer at any moment, however we want. Mm -hmm. We can transcend our sense of purpose just in the moment we answer that question. So, of course, we know how it ends. She asked the third bricklayer, why are you doing what you're doing? This bricklayer doing the same thing as the first two says, well, I'm here because we're building a concert hall and one day musicians will play music that'll touch and transform the souls of people that we will never meet. And I share that little parable just as a reminder for all of us that the questions are powerful. The words in our questions create worlds. And so that was also just buying you a little time, Lucas. What's your oh, third no, I know my answer. I think about this. What's your third bricklayer answer? Why I, is it I that th being here is important for you? I think about it every single morning, um, especially over the last six, seven months as I step into more leadership and more letting go and surrender. It's been the most painful growth that I've ever experienced, yet the most beautiful. And so I had to really be tapped into. But as I reflect on this, I love the bricklayer questions because my first reason and my only reason to start a business was I wanted to make money. I was broke. I was unhappy. I hated my job. I wanted to make money. You started making money, $10,000, $20,000 a month, and I got depressed. And I'm like, okay, obviously, like it's, I couldn't get out of bed. Like I, I just didn't have any passion for life. I could pay my bills and buy a few little fancy things. I remember buying a black BMW which was my big goal. It was black. It was a three series. I always wanted one. It was new or maybe a year too old. And I was happy for about 10 minutes. I drove up to a red light and I looked to the left in Vancouver and there was a Ferrari and he just blew me off the green light. And instantly, oh, now I need a Ferrari. And I was like, no, 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 dude, catch yourself here. This is stupid. So that's where the journey for like, why am I actually doing this started building? And as I really explore recently, because my big drive is to build an organization that just could run without me if I died tomorrow, it still continues. And when I tap into the, the unsexy answer, but at the end of the day, I've had so many jobs, worked on the rigs, and just hated jobs. I hated structure. I hated being told what to do. I wanted freedom, which is my number one top core value. And the definition of freedom has changed. And when I look at what I want to build for people who work, within this, you know, within the company organization, they never feel like job, it's entrepreneurship, they have freedom, and they get to be entrepreneurs with a bit of a safety net within the organization. Everyone we work with can actually, and I think 2021 and beyond, there's never been a time where you can actually turn what you love to do. And this isn't from a fancy marketing, like just make a ton of money following your passion. I'm, I'm talking about you can structure what you do and find ways to monetize it. That serves everybody. It's a win-win for everyone who you come in contact with. So at the end of the day, with freedom being my core value, not just freedom for clients, which would have been two years ago, I want to create freedom for clients. It's now like everyone who comes in and clocks in, if you want to call it that, every day, doesn't feel like they have a job. The clients we work with are get letting go of maybe old paradigms of jobs, and they just truly get to experience some sense of freedom. And then for mm -hmm. myself, because I'm extremely important, is I want freedom as well, as I want to explore different areas of my life um, to not have to be in every department and doing everything, which is why leadership is such a huge thing for me over the last year, is how can I also create freedom so I can use my time to create even more change. Um, sitting on a beach for two weeks doesn't interest me. I love to stay busy. I love to work. But if I could work on bigger problems, 
then that's freedom for me. So I think it's just like a triple win. And right now in the darkest of times when I'm like, uh, don't feel like doing this. I just think of one of those elements. We also do an exercise of like 50 whys. And yeah, I do it yeah. and I'm just like, some, I have a whole bunch of reasons, like selfish reasons why. Reasons for my family and like the people closest to me of how I want to impact them lives. And then clients in the world. And some mornings, something that I personally want just fires me up. Oftentimes, it's something bigger than that. And then oftentimes, it's family. Um, my parents, they immigrated from Europe, didn't know the language, and just sacrificed their whole lives to just give me a fair shot. And I've got, I, I've got this one house that I look at all the time that I would love to invite them over. They stay at the Airbnb. And then at the end of the seven days, they get the keys to the house themselves. Like Just little things like that that I'm always floating around in my mind that will just push me through it. But I'd say 99% of it is about much more than me. Um, and it's been cool to watch that bricklayer approach. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people start with, like, I want to make money. And I'm like, great, let's use that. But let's just make sure we start crafting the next thing because it's going to get lame pretty quick, especially when you make money. Easier than ever to make money. Um, easy, there's so many vehicles to make money. But I know from experience that I was more miserable with money than when I was just starting my business and I got to be creative. Um, and I would just refuse to, if I don't love it, I don't do it. And I just, I won't take a million dollars if it means a year of doing something I don't want to do. It's just not worth it. So creating that for everybody. Mm, wow. Lucas, so thank you for letting me turn the tables here yeah, yeah. and kind of putting you on the spot. I, I, I want to appreciate you. And if I may, I, I want to just, um, I want to bring attention and notice something about your answer if I could. You know, you, and you called attention to this on your own even at the end here. You know, early on, a lot of what drove you was really a little bit more about yourself. And then later on, it was a lot more about others. Yeah. Early on, it was quite a bit more about what you wanted to get away from. And now it's a little bit more about what you're moving towards. Hmm. And, and beneath all of that, and I would just encourage all of us, this is, you know, I'm, I'm pretending that I'm saying this for your audience. This is all my own self-therapy. <laughs> I will tell you, you know, one of the most exciting exercises that we lead and that we teach coaches and facilitators how to lead inside of organizations is a, it's a group experiment where in 30 minutes or less, you give us 50, 100, 300 people, we can actually help that group to co-create an answer to the question, what is our shared purpose as a group, as a team, mm. as a community, as an organization? It's, it's, oh, it's, amazing it's amazing to see that emerge. It's incredible. And one of the biggest discoveries from doing this work, everything we do, is that there are very few things that cause us to come alive as individuals, even inside of organizations, faster than holding open this question and allowing the answer to continue to expand and get bigger. You know, we get to step into some of the most inspiring companies in the world. You know, we get brought out to work with the self-driving engineers at BMW. Like, I love how often I'm the dumbest guy in the room. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I ask them, what causes you to come alive? And, you know, they got chef-made food and wellness centers. And, uh, but it's not, it's not them working on themselves. It's the degree to yeah. which they are driven by a purpose to make the world a better place. Yeah. And I would just encourage all of us to hold that question open. And just remember, we have freedom of choice for yeah. our bricklayer answer to evolve quickly. We don't have to wait till the yeah. end. And, and, there's, and there's one last invitation, and it's really... It's an invitation by acknowledging even within what you said, you know, at the beginning for you, a lot of your motivation came from, and this, these are my words, 
what sounded like a place of fear. I was broke. Yeah. Right. 100%. Your own survival. And and look, in moments of challenge and change and stress, like we neurologically, we all drop in to that survival mode. Um, but you've also there was a word you didn't use until the back half of your answer, which was the word love. And all of us have the opportunity in a moment's notice to find that awakening from our hearts to combine with our intellect. Um, and those who we lead and serve, I believe they feel it. They feel yeah. it when, when we deeply care and we want them to succeed. So that's been a big learning for me <laughs> is understanding the role of the heart combined with all the fancy ideas. So thanks for the gift of uh, no, you sharing your, your purpose with me, man. I appreciate it. No, I appreciate, I appreciate you and just bringing that up. Um, the, 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 I've been studying a lot of, probably for the last year, a lot of um, Map of Consciousness. David R. Hawkins, I believe is his name. He's, he wrote Map of Consciousness and, and a whole bunch of Active Surrender, some book like that. But he's got this uh, beautiful visual chart of everything at the bottom with the lowest frequency kind of emotions like shame and moving all the way up to joy, love, peace, surrender, um, and these beautiful places to operate from. And I, I stare at that visually all of the time because I ask myself, where am I operating from? Fear being at the bottom of the spectrum, um, moving into anger, which starts, it, it can be positive for a short period of time to create some change, moving into kind of allowance, surrender, love, joy, peace. And I know in the moments where I was just in a state of pure bliss, joy, love in the moment, loving what I do, the same marketing strategy would attract higher quality people and i believe your vibe attracts your tribe and we could start going yeah, into yeah. way deeper concepts of, of connection but i literally have noticed and i've heard people say i'm running a facebook ad same audience same everything and when i'm in a place of fear the leads i'm getting i'm paying three dollars a lead but the lead is less quality but when i'm waking up in the morning and operating from a place of inspiration love joy same ad it's 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 actually impossible if you look at it just intellectually same ad better response better leads um easier sales calls and and on paper mathematically it may kind of seem impossible but i i've just experienced it way too many times and if i'm ever in a place of fear now or or like oh my god i just i will step out and i'll do whatever it takes i'll go ride the motorcycles i'll go for a hike and i just make sure i get myself in a place of just high vibes and even just sharing kind of my thoughts with you on the vision instantly. I'm just like, I'm really excited right now, like a little bit more excited than I was 10 minutes ago. And I just think it's such a great exercise to tap into your why and your vision um, and, and see if you can just get out of that place of fear. And I think a lot of people are in fear right now for, for I guess, logical reasons, but there's so much more beyond that. Yeah. You know, there's, you just said something that, um, you know, here's something really crazy that I've come across in the last few years. And it's, it's, the, it's the fact that there's about 40 years in 300 peer-reviewed studies that scientifically actually validate exactly what you just said. Hmm. And um, a number of years ago, I was introduced to this organization, the HeartMath Institute, and last year, I was brought onto a call with their founders, uh, Dr. Roland McCready and Debbie Rosman and Howard Martin, and then I eventually met Doc Childre. And these four or five individuals um, for decades have been studying the science of the intelligence of the heart. And, and I don't pretend that I understand everything that they've been writing about and teaching about, but I'll tell you, man, I was doing a heart 
lock in meditation before you and I met for the first time before this call. Mm. It's the thing that saves me more than anything else because what their work has empirically measured and there's something called personal coherence, right? Which is really just, you know, have you ever been so dialed in? You're, you're, you're intuitively doing the right things. You, you're connecting with other people. And actually it leads to something called social coherence. Like they can actually measure yeah. right now between you and I, like a locking in, right? Yeah. We're, we literally electromagnetically can adjust our vibrations based on, in a good or bad direction, as you said. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it happens at a group level too. We lead group events and we teach people how to lead group events where you can you can feel the vibration at scale very quickly changing. We've been doing an experiment uh, over the last year. We've, our community is facilitated. We loosely measure this uh, north of 300,000 conversations. And, and we have one particular research study we've been doing. We facilitated 2,500 conversations with folks we've never met over a series of workshops where we do an 11-minute experiment and we hand them a question, we drop them into a small group, we bring them out, and then we say, what was that like? And the two things they say is they say the speed and the depth of human connection. And really what they're talking about is like their vibration changes fast, quickly. So it's a real thing. This idea of tapping into this quality of the heart, you know, and these, this funny thing is it's not a new idea. You yeah. know, this has been written about and taught for generations, hundreds, thousands of years. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting that you know, it's, it may be as, is an ancient wisdom that we need right now a lot more than even all the cutting edge science. So yeah. I well, appreciate, I appreciate you talking about no, that's amazing. that if, energetic resonance. There is a, there is a, according to all the science that the HeartMath Institute's been doing, there is yeah. a scientific answer to why one ad worked better than the other. Yeah. yeah. If, if anyone is as fascinated by the topic as I am, um, I'll, I'll make sure at the bottom of this, if you have any links to any resources that, that you think would be highly valuable, and I'll do my own research on it. I know it sounds a lot. I've been doing a lot of dispenser stuff for quite a while, but I know he measures coherence of his audiences, and he has all these crazy devices that can literally measure um, that. And I know he's got a big, I mean, if talk about a vision, I know he's trying to get the world together to change the vibration of the world. So every day at a certain time, um, he leads the world through these meditations. So he wants one day everyone on the planet to be in the exact same moment um, creating coherence. And that's how he believes he can change the world, which is just, I mean, think about what we talked about, communal capital. Yeah. Joe, Joe is a very close friend of the HeartMath Institute. That's and, right. Uh, a lot of their research, uh, a lot of his incredible teachings build upon and from. So that's yeah, awesome. That's beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. Um, okay. So, so someone's feeling inspired right now. They listen to this. They're like, oh my God, I'm going to, I'm going to inspire. I'm going to create my vision. I'm going to take it as deep as I can. I think what's beautiful, what you said is I waited till I was enough pain to like, yeah, why am I doing this? And I had to create it. Um, yeah. Nowadays I stay, I stay on it. I'm like, what's, what am I missing? How can I expand my vision? What don't I see? What can I tap into? What, what inspires me? So hopefully anyone listening will, will be doing a little bit of that. Beyond that, so 24 hours doesn't go by or, or a week doesn't go by and we're back into our old patterns, I'm guessing connecting with a community um, or, or just staying in something so you can actually have some accountability. Beyond that, any we'll drop the resource for, for the book there, absolutely, but anything we can give or share that you know is really effective, everyone's always looking for the quick pill and I won't, I won't say it <laughs> is, but just to, to stay plugged in. Other than vision, and I think vision is like super important, but yeah. beyond that, wanting to be a better leader to their audience, their communities. Yeah, well, let's just start within, and I'd encourage everyone to consider that 
you know, our future destinations that we arrive at usually are a product of whatever questions we ask most persistently, most consistently, and maybe most passionately. And, um, you know, a lot of times we just allow our inner conversations to be unconscious. So I would encourage everyone to consider the power of, of starting with the question that I presented to you. Why does the world need me to do what I'm doing? And, and there's a derivative to that question. We got like four examples in that playbook if anyone wants to grab a copy. But another example would be to invite everyone who's listening to this to think about somebody you've served. And of all the people that you may have served, um, is there a story that stands out that reminds you more than any other why the world needs you to keep doing what you're doing? Um, so that's an interesting question. You know, reconnect to that sense of purpose. Another question is really just an invitation to view your own history as a source of strength. Right. And even our greatest adversities to be a source of our greatest wisdoms, you know, and to think about when have you been at your best? What did you bring to those moments and what could you learn from those moments you could bring back into the present and the future? Right. How have you adapted to change in the last year that you can be proud of? Um, what have been your greatest challenges in life and how have those actually served you? And maybe how have they served you by giving you gifts that you've never fully acknowledged or appreciated? You know, so the way we ask about our own past can really reframe how we leverage that past in the present. Now, here's another question. This is a moment of change right now. This is a moment of change. But even in a moment of change, it's important to ask, no matter how I change and evolve, what do I appreciate and value so much in my life that I want to make sure I nurture it, protect it, preserve it, right? And then, of course, that there's future-oriented questions. And I think all of us can really unlock a lot of energy by making sure we take the time and space, go out into nature, have a pen, a journal, whatever you need to do to ask a year from now, what do I want to be celebrating? What's the story I want to be telling? And if there's maybe a small lesson to take from a part of our conversation today, it's not just what's the story that you want to be telling about yourself. I think something is unlocked when we adjust that question. And we adjust it by asking, what's the story I want to be telling about those who I've served? And allow yourself the space to imagine beyond possible what do you see, hear, and feel? What's happening? How are other people talking about you and how you've served them? Mm. And whose mission and whose values are you going to lift up? And by doing that, they'll want to partner with and align with you. Mm. So these are some of the types of questions that we can ask as individuals. And I'll bring it all the way back to the present. I'd encourage everybody as they leave listening to this um, to ask, what's one thing you're going to do right now? to bring a better version of yourself or a better version of your clients for What's one thing you might do because of listening to this conversation? What's a commitment you're gonna make? Go, go get on a Zoom or a call with somebody and declare it, say it out loud, speak it out loud. Um, and a, <laughs> the bonus reminder is um, in all of this, now's a good time for compassion. Compassion, not just for others, but even for yourself. If you find yourself living in a moment of stress or fear, um, remember stress doesn't have to be a threat. It can also just be a reminder that something you care about is at stake. And if you doubt yourself, um, that also doesn't have, to, doesn't have to be an obstacle. You know, Just remember that you're enough as you are. Mm. And whoever you are and whatever makes you you, lean into that. You know, Whatever makes you different, let that become what you really lean into. Mm. Um, so Lucas, thanks for the chance to be with you today, man. No, I really appreciate this. That's really beautiful. I think the, the big one word I wrote down that I wish I would have done way earlier, although I don't because that's how I learn. I think I learned the best. Maybe all of us learn best, but was uh, <laughs> take the time. I was talking to Fiona, if you're listening, what up? But she was one of her clients and she had the big breakthrough moment and I asked her what happened. She had laser eye surgery. She was mm. the hardest worker I'd known. She works really hard like most of us and 
she just pounding work and because of the laser eye surgery she had to get off the computer for seven days and ask herself questions and found so many beautiful answers when she came back to it it was like massive results in a short period of time doing the same thing just asking better questions and i just had a great reminder this morning because if i don't schedule I, I schedule two hours every morning to just take time to ask myself questions think um explore myself and in the past i never would until i was burnt out or until I hit rock bottom and I had to take three days and say F the world and I'd crawl into my office and just hide. But I always had my breakthroughs in those moments. And now I'm like, how can I be proactive and just put the time aside? And so if it's a hint for anyone listening, I guarantee you're a workaholic. Um, you may even be called like you work too much. And I don't think that's inherently bad, but taking time away, I have found to be what I get paid for right now. And my my best ideas come from those moments. So when you said, like take the time um, yeah, and, and do whatever modalities you have to do to explore that, I think, and ask better questions is so beautiful. And I'll make sure that I um, I leave the link for that playbook and I'll be checking it out on just getting some ideas and inspiration on some of those better questions uh, for past, present, and future. Can I leave you with a quote? Yeah, this absolutely. from a, a dear friend and a very significant mentor in my life. Her name is Mo McKenna. And Mo has been... She's been doing work unlocking collective wisdom for decades before I got to it. And one of the things she taught me years ago was that when you push pause on a machine, it stops working. When we push pause on a human being, everything that matters begins working. Mm. And what you just shared reminds me of that quote that Mo taught me a long time ago. Thanks, That's so Lucas. Beautiful. That's so beautiful. We could talk for another four hours and, and maybe if, <laughs> if, it, if it aligns, we'll, we'll continue this conversation. But for now, I'll leave, I'll leave anyone listening with, um, you know, I always ask this on every podcast, too, what's the one thing you can take from this and apply it instantly, as small as it may be. That's a massive win. And download the playbook. Um, I, I don't get anything in return from it. I always make it really clear if there's some personal gain on anything. But in this instance, absolutely not. But I truly believe in your vision, your mission. And within two minutes of talking to you even before we started this um the 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 energy if you're if you're watching the video of this you'll understand what i'm talking about but maybe in the voice you can hear it too your energy was um was something that I would absolutely trust so i haven't read the playbook or or the downloads yet but i'm sure they're amazing i'll be diving into it and if you're listening uh the link will be below awesome thanks lucas thanks john all right, so as always, I just want to finish off the episode with saying thank you for listening. These episodes are 100% free and they're dedicated to helping you build your coaching business because there are clients out there just waiting for you to reach them. They're waiting for you to give them a result. So do not give up on your dream and never give up on your business. Again, these episodes are 100% free. All I ask in return is that you give it a thumbs up, you give it a like, you give it a little bit of love in the comments or the reviews, and you share it with one or two coaches who you know could use help building their coaching businesses. That's it. I'm done. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.